Remember, the is the if it follows, uh, if it precedes a vowel. It's the if it precedes a consonant. Okay, but anyway, there's your English lesson for the day. All right. Now let's get to the Bible lesson. <laughs> I think some of you are better at Bible lessons than you are English. I think I am too. Yes, absolutely. I, I hope so. If there was one thing I want to be proficient at and one thing I want to be good at, it would be the Bible, I guess. And after that, I want to be good at other things too. Don't misunderstand me, but that, if, if I had to choose, it would be the Bible. All right, let's take our Bibles. Turn over to the book of Numbers, chapter 14. Numbers, chapter 14. We're going to begin in verse 1. Numbers, chapter 14. <clears throat> Numbers chapter 14. Again, don't forget we're going to be uh, um, canceling the Sunday school on the 25th. Only Sunday school. We didn't say the services uh, the rest of the day or anything. Just Sunday school canceled, okay, just so you know. We wanted to give you an opportunity to bring family, friends, things like that. Sometimes it's a little tough for our teachers and workers. They'll say, well, we can't go pick anybody up because of this or that. And, and I know it's Christmas, but man, if you get somebody you could get to come to church, man, I, I, this will give you an opportunity to do that. Whereas uh, early, it's hard, you know, if you're going to a meeting at 9 o'clock and then you gotta, you're out at 9.30 and then you've got to take off and go pick somebody up and come back to class. It makes it hard. I know I try to do that for church sometimes and it is difficult. But, um, you know, this way you have that opportunity. You can invite people out and say, meet me at 11 o'clock in the foyer, or I'll come by and get you at 1040, 1040 or something like that. You know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? And then also some of you that uh, might be able to be used as ushers and workers and stuff as well to help at our doors that day that normally would be kind of tied up doing other things in the Sunday schools. So that way we're not tied up that way either. And that will be helpful And because uh, we're expecting a good crowd that day and a lot of visitors. So... Uh, we want to certainly be put our best foot forward. All right, let's go ahead and begin reading in chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice. And, oh, by the way, I just want to stop real quick. We need ushers. Okay, we really need ushers. Some of you guys need to step up. I'm just telling you that right now. I don't care if you want to wear a suit jacket or not. We need you to. We need ushers. We need some men. Not the ladies. The ladies can't help us on that one. We need some men. And I'm just asking you, I'm asking you to step up because we need some men. Because the first thing that people see when they come to Community Baptist Temple are the men standing at doors. And if the men aren't there, like tonight, there was nobody standing at that door when I came in. I, I was very saddened by that. I thought somebody should be there. What if this even one visitor came tonight, they'd say, nobody even greeted me. I walked in the back of the church, nobody was there to touch, shake my hand. I came through that door, there wasn't an usher there. Okay, there might have been one usher there. But folks, listen, this church, there's no reason why we don't have ushers at each door. There's no reason we don't have somebody at that door and somebody down at that door if necessary. I'm just saying, we really should. We've got to put our best foot forward. Help us out with that. You know, there's nothing to pray about either. There's nothing to pray about. Okay, well, I, I'm going to pray whether God wants me to be used as an You don't need to pray about it. You just need to do it. You just need to do it. I mean, it would be an honor. You say, an honor. To, to, to be the doorman in heaven. You know what I mean? I don't need a man. I just want to be a doorman. Well, you got an opportunity to start right now learning how. This is a great opportunity. If I, if I had a minute to myself, I would spend it at the door shaking somebody's hand. I'm just saying I, I would do that because I think you can be so profitable, so helpful. I don't know if Brother Bill is still here. What's going on with Brother Bill? Is he here? Okay. 
Well, Brother Bill, you will not. You can't believe how many people have been encouraged in, in, by Brother Bill. Man, you you to make man. You, you say I just want to be. A, I want to make a difference. I want. I want. I want to count for something. Man, you just shake people's hands and remember their names, and you'll count for something. <laughs> you'll be amazed how many people love you and never forget you as long as you live, and even after you're long dead, they'll be talking about you. So, Brother Bill, we'll be talking about you. Hopefully not anytime soon, at least not behind your back. Hopefully it's to your face, okay? <laughs> at least we got heaven to look forward to, amen? Well, anyway, that was just my little... Uh, you know what? And the brother didn't even ask me to give the, uh, what do you call that, advertisement. Brother Callahan didn't even ask me. I just felt led to do so. Okay, anyway, going on. Here we go, beginning in chapter 14. I just thought, how lucky you guys are. You're not in my Sunday school class anymore. They have to hear it all the whole hour. <laughs> it's just bad. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? And, 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 or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey. Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? They said one to another, Let us make a captain. Let us return into Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it, is an exceeding good land. The Lord delight in us. Then he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them. The Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. <coughs> Israel, of course, had been delivered out of the land of Egypt and out of the hand of Pharaoh. They'd received the law and now they stood on the brink of a new life. Behind them loomed the awful memories of bondage and the cruelty that they faced on a daily basis. And now before them lay a land flowing with milk and honey. Still the whispers of unbelief swelled within the hearts of the people. The spies had returned, and they'd returned with a glowing report. They'd returned telling them of the grapes and a land flowing with milk and honey. But their fears got the best of them. Although the land had been more abundant than they had even imagined, their hearts were faint because of the inhabitants of the land. See, the promise of God had been made very clear to the people of God. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 20, beginning in verse 22, we read, Ye shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments, and do them. 
that the land, whither I bring you to dwell therein, spew you not out. And ye shall not walk in the manners of the nation, which I cast out before you, for they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. But I have said unto you, ye shall inherit their land, and I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that floweth with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. God had made it very clear to the people of, to His people that this land was their land. That He had already provided the means by which they could obtain and ultimately enter into the promised land. But in the shadows and the deepest recesses of their heart lurked Satan, sowing seeds of doubt and unbelief. And although He had promised the land to the people, they would not go up. Instead, they rebelled. Instead, they refused. And tonight, I just want to talk to you for a few moments about the prescription for problems. The prescription for problems. Father, we come to you. Lord, we ask you to help us tonight. Give us insight and understanding to your word. And Father, may you just work in our hearts and bring to mind things that we need. Lord, without you, we're nothing. Lord, tonight, we're going to ask you just to help us, encourage us, and strengthen us. May we leave here better for having come, better for you, better for our families, better for a world that's lost and headed to hell. Lord, we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Actually, I want to call that the prescription for rebellion. I have to use my phonics, of course. I'm not that good at spelling. You guys are a terrible crowd tonight. (laughs) When you sang that last Christmas song, I knew I was in trouble. Then again, I couldn't think of it either. I'm up here fumbling around. I probably started laughing. Look, Mr. Hamilton said, oh, my. I didn't have a clue what was I was doing up here. But anyway, first of all, the problem with rebellion. We're talking about the prescription for rebellion. Let's talk about, first of all, the problem with rebellion. You know, when you choose the route of rebellion, as the children of Israel did, you'll notice in verse 9 it says, Only rebel not ye against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people, the land. But they did rebel, didn't they? They didn't obey God, and they did not go into the promised land. But when you choose the route of rebellion, there are a number of consequences that follow. Now, off the top of everyone's head, the first thing everyone thinks of is chastening. But I'm going to say that, I'm going to save that to last, because I believe that many times chastening isn't always as bad as some of the other consequences. And what I mean by that is, is that with chastening, at least biblical chastening, it takes place and then God forgives if we will turn. So therefore, it need not linger. I mean, that's why we spank our children opposed to putting them in their room for two and a half hours. You see, God is the God who chastens and then forgives and forgets. 
So when our children disobey or they do something contrary to the rules or to that which we've put or established in our homes and we spank them, it is done with, put behind them, and they move forward. They learn that Daddy still loves them. Even though he had to discipline them, he's there. Come on, let's go. We're having a good time at home. I don't, you don't let your kids pout. You don't let your kids stay in their room after they've been spanked. They have to come in and fellowship and be around everyone. Oh, give them a moment to clean up, wipe the tears away, those kind of things. But you don't allow them to go off into a corner to themselves and remove themselves from the people who's, who disciplined. Whether it be mom that disciplined or dad that disciplined. No, you force them, you require them to be a part of and to participate in what's going on. And that's how God is. Someone in church does something that it goes contrary to God's Word and you disobey the Lord. And maybe even the church at some point would have to chasten or one of the leaders would have to ask you to do something in order to make that right. Hey, it's not like we want you to be down on your back forever. The goal ultimately is restoration. The goal is to get back into touch with the community of believers again. So there are some consequences that I believe are even a little bit more harsh sometimes than even the chastening of God Himself. And let me, let me just share a couple of them with you. Because they affect you every day and they affect me every day. They affect those around us every day if we don't deal with our rebellion. First of all, in verse 1, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. Remember, they had heard from the, the spies already. They had been given the report and, and, and they then were told how those people there in the land were giants and we were just mere grasshoppers in, the, in, in their sight. And they finally just lost heart. They couldn't continue on anymore and they gave up and they said, we won't go in the land. We can't do it. We'll fail. What that brought about was discouragement. You notice they were discouraged here. You know, people that are rebellious are discouraged people. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. Well, you know, discouraged people rub off on everyone around them. But notice this in verse 2. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. They were disgruntled. Rebellious people are disgruntled people. Never seen or heard of that, have you? Never experienced that from your children. You can clean their room and you go up and say, Now listen, you didn't clean your room. You're supposed to clean your room. And they say, Banana, lingo, banana. Disgruntled. That's not fair. And it leads to the next one. To be. That's not a phrase. That's the verse. To be being the portion of which we find the answer in. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. Would God we had died in this wilderness. They were dissatisfied. They're discouraged, they're disgruntled, they're dissatisfied. God didn't keep them back. God didn't withhold the land. They chose not to enter into it. 
They rejected. They failed to obey God. And yet, in the end, they were discouraged. They were disgruntled. They were dissatisfied. I thought the decision was supposed to help them. I thought it was to protect them. I thought they said, we're not going to go in because it'll be worse for our families. It'll be more harmful to our person. The last time I checked, there's no one person in this world, there's no army that can destroy a people unless, unless they're destroyed from within. You can take us by force, but you can't kill our spirit. But if for some reason, rebellion destroys the spirit of a man. It destroys and wrecks the spirit of a woman. It ultimately will totally and completely destroy a nation. These people were discouraged, disgruntled, and dissatisfied. And number four, they were defeated. Verse three and four. Wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return unto Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return to Egypt. Return into Egypt. Can you imagine that? After everything they had seen and experienced, I mean, they'd watched the Red Sea part and they'd walked through on dry ground. God had poured manna from the sky and fed them supernaturally there in that wilderness. He had struck the rock and there came forth the water and satisfied their thirst. God had protected them and God had provided for them and God had supernaturally intervened on their behalf. And yet now when they face uh, the very land that God had promised them, they're discouraged, disgruntled, dissatisfied, and defeated. Why? Because they rebelled. If you move forward into the story and you go 40 years later and they, you find them crossing over Jordan, the people are not discouraged, disgruntled, dissatisfied, or defeated now. The same enemy still exists. The same foe is on the other side of that river. But the people of God have a different spirit and a different attitude than they had. All because they were willing to obey God. Of course, now we've noted that little Johnny and little Susie have Learn to be discouraged, disgruntled, dissatisfied, and a defeated people now. All the children of the Israelites are learning to follow in their parents' footsteps. If only God wouldn't have drug us out in the wilderness. If only God wouldn't have made us go into the land. They had never one time been in Egypt, some of those children. Or at least they weren't old enough to understand what it meant to be in Egypt. And yet some of them will one day long to return because mom and dad taught them that bondage was sweeter than freedom. I do not believe that we can comprehend how influential we are as parents. I don't think we'll ever understand that. And I do not believe that the greatest impact that we have on our children 
is by what we do. It's more by how we respond. Our attitude. Our spirit. That is so important. Finally, we do note, in verse 23 of the same chapter, the Bible tells us, Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. The discipline. Now we finally get there. Boy, the problem with rebellion is that there are a number of consequences. Number two, the particulars of rebellion. Let's consider the particulars. The children of Israel's rebellion was rooted in something far more dreadful than I think they could imagine or that you and I can imagine. Sometimes we get the idea that the rebellion is so horrible. We don't look past it. We see it. And we say, oh my, rebellion. And yes, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Don't misunderstand me. But hold on. Rebellion is only a symptom of a much greater root problem. The children of Israel wouldn't go up. The children of Israel rebelled. The children of Israel rejected God's perfect will. Because of this one word, unbelief. Look, if you will, in Hebrews chapter 3. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 17. We read, but with whom... Was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that sinned? Whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in. Because they were weaker than the other nations. Because they did not possess the weaponry needed. Because they were not a people of war. Because there were not enough men. To fight the battle. No. We see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Oh, they had a number of excuses. Oh, I know. I mean, it would be, it was easy for them to point their finger at Moses and Aaron and say, why, why'd you do this to us? Uh, how's come you allowed us to come out into this wilderness and now we face these, these giants in the land? You honestly believe that we're capable and qualified to enter into that land? 
I mean, if it wasn't for you guys, we wouldn't be up against this rock in a hard place. Oh, they had all kinds of excuses. Don't you realize that, that we're simply grasshoppers in their sight? I mean, they have walled cities. Don't you realize that, Moses? God certainly wouldn't expect us to put our lives on the line in order to somehow gain a victory. If God, God wanted us to have it, then those enemies would be done away with. There wouldn't be anybody there. We'd just walk right on in. They didn't realize it at the time, but that's exactly how it would work pretty much. But God was waiting for them to take that one or first step. See, the children of Israel wouldn't go up because of unbelief. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11.6 that if there is a sin that we must not allow to grip our hearts, it's unbelief. But without faith, it is... Let me say that again. This is a tough one. But without faith, it is... Do I really want to even say the word? Hold on. But without faith, it is... Imp- <laughs> that just can't be the case. I mean, this is, this is really, really difficult. I, I, I don't know. There must be a scribal error here. Unfortunately, there isn't. But without faith, it is impossible... Listen, the word impossible. I don't think I need to define that word for anyone in this room. It is impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Talking about the Lord. You can't please God. It's impossible to please God. Without faith. Impossible. Again, it wasn't the land, the inhabitants, or the leadership that kept them from entering the promised land. It was unbelief. And unbelief keeps us individually, as a family, as a church, from the blessings of God. See, it isn't a poor husband or wife or a sorry pastor or people. It isn't a bad job or lack of income. It isn't a dysfunctional home or bad parents. Those things aren't good. But unfortunately, that's not what keeps us from obeying God. It's unbelief. See, we fail to tithe. Well, not because we have a lousy job, we don't have the money or can't afford to, but because of unbelief. We don't believe that God can provide for us. So we disobey God. We rebel. Sorry, we just didn't please God that time. 
I mean, we, we marry the unsaved. Not because there's no one else to marry or the church is too small. Not because we're getting older and need to hurry up. But because of unbelief. We really don't believe that God can provide the right kind of mate, or at least not the right one in our time. We won't witness or fail to often, not because we're handicapped or can't, but because we are of unbelief. So we doubt God will deliver and bless us. By the way, rebellion is rooted in unbelief. Where there's rebellion, there's unbelief. And these Israelites were rebellious, but the root of their rebellion was unbelief. And when you and I fail to obey God, when we fail to follow through with His precepts, His commands... When we are tempted to say no to God, it's because of one simple word, unbelief. When we fail to forgive those that hurt us, the real root problem is one word, unbelief. He said, but you don't understand. You can't imagine. I know I can't, and I hope I never do, and I don't want anyone else to have to understand. But God does. His Word promises you the very grace you need to do what He has commanded you to do. To do. He commanded it. He will also provide it. If we don't follow through and obey God, it's because of unbelief. We just don't believe God can help us do that, or enable us to do that, or empower us to do that. I can't do it! You're right, you can't. But the reason why you won't let God do it is because of unbelief. Let's finally close with the prescription for rebellion. We see the problem... The particulars, but now let's look at the prescription. <clears throat> Again, don't be fooled into treating symptoms instead of the root problem. Well, when I get my finances in order and I finally get my house the way I want my house and I'm able to provide a nice vehicle and a nice standard of living and have my kids in a nice schools, then I won't work so much and I'll be able to come to church. You know what you're trying to do? You're trying to solve your problems by dealing with symptoms. That's not the problem, though. It's unbelief. So how do we deal with it? What do we do? First of all, confess unbelief as sin. Boy, we are we we do not, and I'm telling you, we struggle with saying to God, you know, God, I am just a wicked sinner. 
That's sin. You know, somebody says something to you that's off color and it ruffles the hair on the back of your neck. And every time you see them, you're going, that dirty rotten. I tell you what, they just have no cooth, no common sense. I can't stand them. They nauseate me. You may not say it, but you feel it. Do you know that that is just downright sin? Oh, you don't call it that. You say it's just, it's just natural. Yeah, that's my point. It's natural. Do you know that anything that's natural for you is sin? The Christian life's not lived in the body or the flesh. The Christian life's lived in the spirit. Natural is the world, the flesh, the devil. Hey, that's why beer commercials talk about getting all the gusto you can get. That's why, that's why all the shows now are promoting sexual content and, and uh, you know, uh, extramarital affairs and, and homosexuality and all the immorality that they do because that's natural. I heard someone say the other day, uh, to, to find somebody that's a virgin at the age of 25 is just unheard of because it's just a natural thing to involve yourself in a physical relationship. And they're, they're right. It's natural. But it's not biblical. Don't you understand that when we have the feelings of the world, when we, we embrace natural thoughts and feelings that those are sinful? It's not right. It's not right to envy and it's not right to, to, to be bitter and ha- hateful toward people. That's not, that may be natural when someone hurts you. It's only natural to want to hurt back and to be angry and to harbor bitterness and to want to kill them and want to rip their limbs apart and... You know what I'm talking about. It just goes further and further and further. It's because we honestly accept the fact that natural is normal. Well, you can't expect me. I mean, obviously, you know what happened to me, right? (laughs) You can't expect me just to forgive them, right? (laughs) That'd be unnatural. I know, it'd be scriptural, spirit-filled. Biblical. But actually, please the Lord because it requires faith. Confess unbelief is sin. Again, without faith it is impossible to please Him. Hey, don't you want God to be pleased with you in your life? I do. I, I don't always seem to accomplish the goal, but my goal and my desire is that I do. Number two, not only confess unbelief is sin... But construct a life of faith. Begin to build a life of faith. Man, when you are tempted to think natural, when you are tempted to believe somehow that unbelief is okay, that it's normal, it is normal for the world, it's normal for lost men and women, it's normal in our school systems and in our government, it's normal. Because natural men and carnal men often rule those areas 
but not for the believer. In God's economy, that is not natural and that is not normal for Him. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. We're to begin to build a life of faith. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 17. You probably know it. Some may know it by heart even. And if you haven't heard it before, you'll quickly understand why we're turning to it. Chapter 10, verse 17. So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You know how you build a life of faith? You model or you imitate what you find in this book as being good and godly. If God says it's good to be in God's house, then you're there. If God says it's good to be in His Word, you're there. If God says it's good to be on your knees, you're there. If God says it's good to forgive, you're there. You understand what I'm saying? You don't don't choose the steps you're going to take. The steps of a good man are what? Ordered by the Lord. And He delighteth in them. Begin to construct a life of faith. Memorize the Word of God. Study the Word of God. Read your Bible. And live that thing. When you're tempted to think outside the box, the box of this book, don't do it. When you start to consider steps that take you contrary or away from what you know to be biblical revelation, you just say no. I'm building a life of faith. I'm going to exercise faith in my decisions. I'm going to include God in decisions. I'm not just going to do things to do them. And Like you, I know how hard that can be. I mean, I know in this room right now under the preaching, we go, well, I live a life of faith. I, I, I'm here, aren't I? I mean, I want to believe that too, but let's be honest with ourselves for a moment. How tempting is it at times? to almost unintentionally forget who really is in charge. And we make our decisions, and at the end of the day, we stop for a minute and think, I hope I made the right one. You know why we do that, don't you? Because we didn't consult Him to begin with. Because if we really did, and we took the time to search out His Word and to really allow His Spirit to speak and to get a confirmation of what we should do next, we we wouldn't be doubting at that point if we knew it was from God. The children of Israel, after they had rejected to go into the the promised land, all of a sudden they're getting all upset. Well, okay, okay, fine. The next day, you know, the next day, you know how it is. The next day, well, okay, we'll go, we'll go. God says, don't do it. No, really, we want to obey you. We do. We're sorry we messed up. We're going to do it. Don't do it. 
but, but, but you said we could have the land. No, we're just going to go up. Okay, God, we're going up. Don't do it. And they did. It didn't work. Listen, when God speaks, we've got to obey. You may not get another chance. Just do what God says. Do what God says. Obey the Lord. Construct a life of faith. And finally, commit thy works unto the Lord. We've talked about it a little bit already, but Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3, as we close. This is a great passage. He says, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. You do right, and you do it long enough, it'll become natural to you. We've got to break the old cycle. It's too easy to operate in the flesh. It's too easy to dig up the old man. We have to live right and do right consistently. And if we'll commit our works to the Lord, we'll break that old cycle. We'll crack the mold. We'll be able to overcome the flesh. Because God will transform our mind. He'll renew our mind. And both as spiritual and physical, and they work together. Instead of waiting on God to do His work, we obey God in the work of committing. And God works it together. While I'm obeying His Word and walking in the light, I'm committing my works to God. I'm where I'm supposed to be, doing what I'm supposed to do, saying what I'm supposed to say, being obedient in every aspect of my life as much as I know how. God at the same time is working a work inside me. And what supernaturally happens in time is that what you see is not just what I do. It's who I am. And what I've become. And too many people are still trying to just operate with what I do. It's what I do. It's where I go. It's how I speak. And God's saying, I want more for you than that. I want it to become who you are. So the next time you hit your thumb with a hammer, what used to come out doesn't anymore. When tragedy strikes in your life, how you would have responded, you won't now. When difficult times come and the pressure's on, you'll still be doing all the right things. 
Because it's who you are, not just what you do. Confess unbelief is sin. Construct a life of faith and commit thy works unto the Lord. But we need to work as believers at building a life of faith. Because, see, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And every time we rebel, the real problem is one simple word. Unbelief. Let's trust God today. Let's just believe Him. Obey Him. And allow Him to bless us. Father, we come to You. We thank You again for this time that we've had together in Your Word. And we just pray, Lord, that You just help us in these next moments. As the music will play in just a moment, as opportunity will be extended to you.